This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. When the Hereditary Neuropathy Foundation set up a patient-focused drug development meeting with the FDA, it knew that patients with Charcot-Marie tooth disease faced difficulty providing written comments because of the impact of their disease on their ability to write or type. Working with a technology company, the organization was able to gather patient feedback using voice technology that allowed them to report comments over the phone through an automated system. We spoke to Allison Moore, CEO of the Hereditary Neuropathy Foundation, about the use of this technology, how it works, and why it may benefit patients with many other conditions. Allison, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. I'm so thrilled to be here. We're going to talk about Charcot-Marie tooth disease, your recent patient-focused drug development meeting with the FDA, and the important role technology can play in improving the ability of patients to provide insights to regulators and drug developers. I I think it would be useful for listeners to have a little understanding of Charcot-Marie tooth disease, what it is, how does it manifest itself, and how does it progress? So Charcot-Marie Tooth, also known as CMT, is a progressive neuromuscular disease. It affects 1 in 2,500 people, and it's extremely debilitating. I always say it starts in infancy because it's a genetic disease, but typically it doesn't manifest. The symptoms don't manifest till the second decade of life. There are certain mutations. There's over 100 currently that they know of. Some are more severe than others. Sometimes it does affect children at a younger age, but typically we start to see symptoms and patients start to really deteriorate in their teenage years and their early 20s. How is it treated today? Today, um, currently actually, there has been no known treatments other than physical therapy, surgery to help correct the foot and hand deformities that develop over time with the disease. Exercise definitely plays a part in improving mobility. And as the disease progresses, often patients will need leg braces uh, to stay mobile, um, scooters and so forth. But we got excellent news um, early this week, which I believe was on Monday, that the first drug um, showed positive endpoints in the phase three clinical trials for adults. So we are absolutely thrilled. The name of the drug is PXT3003. The sponsor is Farnex. They're a French biopharmaceutical company. So the entire community, especially me, I cannot be more happy with the 
potential commercialization of the first drug for the most common type of CMT, which is CMT1A. Some listeners may not be familiar with patient-focused drug development meetings. Can, can you explain what these are, what they're intended to do, and, and how the end results are used? So patient-reported outcomes, patient-reported outcome research, it's a term that's been around for a while, and HNF got super involved with PROs about five years ago, and the purpose is really to bring the patient's voice into drug discovery. And early on, when you understand what the patients are dealing with on a daily basis and how the disease is impacting life, it helps researchers and pharmaceutical companies develop treatments that potentially will improve function in patients. I mean, we know that patients take the drugs, not the pharmaceutical company, not the advocacy group, patients. But in order to be successful in drug discovery and to ensure that treatments meet their endpoints in clinical trials with the idea of being commercialized, we have to be sure that we understand what matters most to patients when thinking about taking a drug and the benefit risk. Because often, um, if a drug is going to show side effects that could be somewhat severe and sometimes even moderate, the patient may choose not to take the drug. So it's really important that stakeholders understand what that threshold is for patients when they're thinking about a drug intervention for themselves and obviously, most importantly, for their children. How do studies generally collect feedback from patients and why might conventional approaches to doing this be problematic for patients with diseases like CMT? So I'm glad you asked that question, Danny. I think it's an important one. Typically, patient-reported outcome tools are either in office when they're visiting the doctor in a clinical trial, there are surveys that the patients take that are written. With technology today, we've advanced over the last decade or so where a lot of these PRO instruments that are being used in clinical trials or even for diagnostic or natural history studies, they're now in an electronic uh, form, which I think definitely has helped to capture more of these PRO, um, uh, PRO study data. But what we're seeing and what we're doing now is we're utilizing technology called activation technology. We're partnered with a company called True Reply. They have an innovative platform that uses AI, artificial intelligence, intelligence to help analyze data and listen to language and voice recognition to really understand what the patient is going through. And I think it's really important that we recognize this type of technology because often these patients have severe disabilities and they have difficulty using their hands. So it's not easy for them to write on a handwritten survey or even type on a computer or an iPhone. So this idea that we can actually have a patient call into a phone number or have the phone True Reply platform automatically call them, they can actually describe what they're experiencing either day up or weekly or how the disease may be affecting their sleep or depression, how they're feeling that day from a fatigue standpoint. We think pain is another very important PRO that can be captured with voice and be more robust than just a simple electronic version uh, instrument. So we see a huge future for this type of technology in improving outcomes for patients 
in clinical trials and obviously um, ways to validate whether a drug is improving function in. You know, it, 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 it seems kind of obvious on, on one hand, but how, it doesn't really seem to require that sophisticated a technology to pull this off. What did it take to put this together and, and how did it actually work? Well, it actually is somewhat sophisticated. Uh, there, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of the platform from a technological standpoint. I know that without AI, it would be very difficult to analyze thousands and thousands of responses. I will tell you approximately, it was actually November of last year, we did our first voice activation technology survey for a pain summit we did on CMT. And we were able to collect some really amazing data where we heard the agony and the frustration of what these patients are dealing with on a daily basis. And at that point, we did have to go through and listen to every single response, 100 responses. So that was time-consuming and obviously very upsetting to hear what these patients were going through. Fast forward a year later, when um, the company was able to put more resources, they now have a lot of automation where they're able to capture and come up with ways to present the data in a systematic way for analysis and publication. And we use this technology for our externally-led patient-focused drug development meeting that we just hosted on September 28th to capture the voice of the patient testimonies for the FDA to inform them on what patients with CMT are dealing with. There are many organizations, I imagine, that could benefit from using technology like this. Is cost a barrier? Actually, another great question, Danny. The beauty of this technology is the cost is much less than having to deal with what goes into translating these uh, basic handwritten surveys into electronic format, licensing them, often having to pay large sums per patient for clinical trial. We see this as a, a technology where you're paying 30, 40, 50 cents per patient per call. It could be more, it could be less, but the idea is that we can get much larger numbers and keep the cost down. What kind of questions did you ask patients? So one of the questions we asked the patient, if there was anything that you can change about your CMT, what would it be? Please answer the question for us. And we were able to get responses from being able to walk without leg braces, not having pain, being able to swim in the ocean. There was a lot of qualitative data that was collected by asking this question. Did the responses you get differ from the responses you might have captured in other ways? Did it provide insights from a, a different group of patients who might otherwise have not responded? I think you got more detail about the symptom or the characteristic of a disease that was really bothering the patient because they were able to not only state what it was or is, but elaborate on how it was impacting their life, where often when you look at traditional instruments and surveys, which, by the way, I do believe in, this is just going to be what we believe to enhance PROs. It's not completely replacing the traditional way, but those questions often are 
yes-no questions or on a scale from 1 to 10 or slightly affected, moderately affected, severely affected. So it's very broad. So it's often harder to really dig deep into what the patient's experiencing. And I'd also like to say that we know, like, in life, whether you're disabled or not disabled, we all have challenges. And some days you feel better than other days. So I think often when you fill out these forms in a doctor's office, it's a different experience than just daily living. You know, when you're at home and you can answer it just in your routine of a day, I think the response could be often different than what it would be if you were in a doctor's office. Were there limitations you found to this approach? I think the limitations are you can't capture all types of patient-reported outcomes. I think we have to hone in on where this is going to make sense. And with the research we've done and True Apply, we really feel that this is a strong PRO instrument to capture pain and behavioral health. These are two areas that I think we, as a community, diseases and as well as well-known diseases, PROs are very hard to capture with traditional survey instruments. And how is the information you gathered now being used? Well, it's wonderful. We've been able to use the data to uh, at our annual summits that we do, um, our patient-centered summits for CMT. We were able to inform the FDA and give them more data than they were able to get through their traditional polling. And what also I thought was really interesting is the way these externally-led patient-focused drug development meetings are set up is you do testimonies. You have, We had a panelist of children and teens and adults, and they were able to communicate their testimony of what it is like living with sympathy. And by using this voice of the patient, we did it in a video with a montage of patients, it was like capturing 30 more testimonies in less than five minutes. So I think it really got across to the FDA and the stakeholders more data that was not captured throughout the day with the polling that we did. Why is it important for patient advocacy organizations, drug developers, and regulators to consider different ways to reach out to patient populations with consideration to the effects their conditions might have on their ability to respond? I think it's really important to have all stakeholders, especially pharmaceutical companies, think about utilizing technology like this because it's never too early to truly understand the patient community that you're trying to help. If you're going to develop treatments for patient drugs, gene therapy for patients, you have to understand in depth what these patients are and their families are experiencing on a daily basis and what's really important to them. And often we will see that a pharmaceutical company or even an advocacy group could say, okay, well, we think that it's really important that patients have improved balance and de-risk falling, which, of course, is really important. But there's other things that we weren't thinking about early on when we started to use this technology, and one of them was pain. And often patients were listing that over and above balance, which is hard to believe, but I guess if you're in chronic pain, (laughs) that's more concerning. And pharmaceutical companies were not really using pain instruments in the clinical trials for our disease. So now, obviously, that has changed. So it is really important that 
stakeholders consider this type of technology to get deeper into the symptoms and what these families are dealing with on a daily basis that's impacting their quality of life. What advice would you offer other advocacy organizations considering taking similar steps? I think any advocacy group out there has the capability to do work like this. I think it's enhancing the future for their communities. I think that we're in an era now where stakeholders are truly recognizing that the patients come first and what they want and need is number one, and the FDA also recognizes that. So I see patient advocacy groups having the wherewithal, and it doesn't take a lot when you're working with a company like True Reply or us to be able to do work like this, to understand at a deeper level the impact the disease is having. So, you know, I'm not just saying this because, oh, my God, I think that this is something that is new and innovative. I'm saying this because I truly feel that we owe it to rare disease patients to dig deep into these families and what they're going through. And if we do that and we publish data on this topic, I believe we'll have more likelihood to see more of these pharmaceutical companies investing in our diseases. Allison Moore, CEO of the Hereditary Neuropathy Foundation. Allison, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Danny. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.